0: Um, I'll be reading Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He lies me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Prepare a table before before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil; my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I t- shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, the shepherd still protects his flock today. Today in America, we've got it pretty good. Temptation is is probably one of our biggest biggest things, especially uh, well, with uh, with all of us. And um, though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, in David's time, he was a king of a military culture where they would lead their enemies into the valleys and attack from all sides. And temptation still does the same thing to us today. It's gun shop, strip club, porn store, black dot, coke, ready, testers, hitting in the hole. But the word is our rod, and study and strengthens our staffs. And prayer works. We still worship the same God as David, and like David, none of us are perfect. But he still gives us our rock to defeat our Goliaths. And the same God that brought Jericho's walls down and bore a son through a virgin is the same God that we pray to today. And he can help us if we follow his word.
1: Amen. Let's let's uh, give him a word of encouragement. Let's just clap. Good stuff. And um, I I thought that was appropriate, even as we talk about this idea, just the thoughts from Psalm 23 and... I should take in a little bit of a detour today from the series that we're going through um, just to talk a little bit about this idea of the wilderness. And some of this is just from personal things I'm going through myself. But when we look at the gospel, when we look at the message of Jesus Christ, we see that there's a whole new way of spiritual transformation. Because the way that our world works, even religious people, is that um, if you're a good person and you follow certain moral uh, behaviors or you you follow certain rules, in your external behavior, then you will be blessed. Then things will turn out good. In other words, for a Christian, if I obey, then God will come into my life and love me and accept me. That, that's just kind of more of a religious way. But the gospel is the reverse of that. The gospel is if, if I know in my heart that God has loved me and accepted me and, and freely, by grace, through the work of Jesus Christ, saved me, then I can begin to truly obey out of inner joy. And out of gratitude. It, it's a reversal of the way that the world works. And this is really a question for me that helps me when I'm talking to people um, about whether they understand the good news of Jesus or not, because I'll just usually, So what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to know Jesus? And if the answer is more, well, I got still some, got some, I still have some ways to go. I still need to get some things done. I still need to work a little harder. That shows me, uh, maybe you haven't fully understood yet the message of Jesus. Cause the gospel is, yeah, we follow Christ, but it's not something we can earn. It's not something that we can produce within ourselves. It has to come from outside of ourselves. And the answer to how do we say, how do we get saved? What do we, why should God save us? The only appropriate answer is He shouldn't. I don't deserve this. I've done, I can't do anything for Him to save me. It's purely by His work alone. That's what grace and mercy is. And so, having said all that, I want to look at one of the specific ways that God. Takes us through this kind of transformation from that heart level inside outward. And that's through our times in the wilderness. Maybe we can call it the desert, because a lot of times in our contemporary Christian world, And I might sound like I'm making a little bit of fun. I'm yeah, maybe a little bit, but it's almost like the secret to spiritual transformation is just these seven steps. And if you just get these seven steps down and in a row, they gotta be at seven in a row. And sometimes they start with the same letter. And you know, as long as you do this, then you life will turn out good. You know, if your life is crummy, follow the seven steps for success in your spiritual walk and journey. And if you do this, then things will turn out well. The problem is, for some of you who've actually tried it. Often, that doesn't really take you somewhere. It might even change some of your behavior for a while, but that in of itself cannot transform into deeper being. Does that make sense? So what we're looking at here, I'm going to suggest maybe one of the more impactful ways that we are transformed is what, when we are in the wilderness times of our life, when we're in the desert seasons of our life. and And the thing is that our world, and let's be honest, even the church at times, tries to give out messages to avoid the wilderness like the plague to try to do anything you can to be out of these desert seasons because the the desert it's a dry place where nobody goes for refreshment right it's not like you're in the middle of like um you know oh yeah you know let's go in the desert just camp out for a while you know some of you are because you like that dry kind of heat stuff but it's not comfortable i mean it's not welcoming being in the desert, even in, of your soul, it can be extremely lonely. Um, it can be almost this empty feeling so much so that you are honestly forced to confront who you really are. Sometimes that quietness, sometimes that feeling of alone, is, is, it forces you to have to see what's really going on in my soul. And for many of us, and just, I mean, I'm just taking this from talking with people and for myself, oftentimes that deeper inner soul is filled with pain. It's filled with longing. So I don't think it would be accurate to describe the desert or the wilderness as a fun place or an enjoyable place, um, but I will suggest that the desert is a place where we can come to often our most deep, profound experience of God. So we're gonna look at this short passage from the book of Deuteronomy. And this is chapter 8, and you can pick up a Bible if you want, or I think the verses are up on the screen here as well, where it says, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. So God is addressing this group of Israel. It's about to go into this new land. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Let me pray for us as we continue. Lord, um, Help us, Lord, particularly if we're used to doing church. um, Some of us know that can be the driest time, Lord, when the external things look like they're there, but our heart is wasting away. Meet us there. Help us, Lord. We need you. Provide mercy in this place that your spirit might take these words and do healing, restorative work in some of our souls. So we thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we see God using the desert and the lives of his people there as he prepares them for this new destination. So you might have heard about the promised land that the people of Israel, they've been delivered from slavery in Egypt. And now after this journey of 40 years, God is about to bring them into the land that he has promised to them from, from years beyond. And sometimes if you don't, if we're not familiar with the geography here, we might think 40 years, man, that's a heck of a road trip. That is like, I mean, how far was this place? If you look straight line-to-line distance, they estimate that's only around 240 miles of a journey. So it's not that far. Um, I mean, even if you count having little kids, you can make that journey probably maybe 30 days if you're making a decent pace. I mean, some of you real jocks, like um, you know, CrossFit types, you can do it in like 10, 11 days. Um, me, I'll hang back with the 30-day folks. But you know, wh- the question is, why did this take so long? Why did 40 years in verse one, we see why God is telling Israel to remember the hardships in the desert, because they're about to again enter this promised land filled with prosperity. And, and here's how human nature works. A couple, about a year and a half ago, great time in Baltimore City. Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl. Tremendous, you know, loving it. The city's on fire. Everyone's having, all of you from Baltimore, you remember that still like just a giant celebration. Uh, people are going nuts. Everyone's happy, celebrating, eating, whatever else you do to celebrate and just, woo, you know, fireworks. And, you know, people are so hype. It, it was great. Um, But if I remember my state, I don't think I was praising God in that moment, as happy as I was. I mean, oh, God is a majestic God of wonder. And Mike, that was not the first thought in my mind. I mean, I know Ray, Ray, Ray Lewis was praising God, but he might have been the only real one. Everyone, I mean, you're not thinking about that in times of good. When you're riding a roller coaster at Six Flags, you're not thinking, wow, how did God make this? Where gravity suddenly doesn't work. And we you know, we don't praise God t- usually in the times of good. Or we don't think of him. But what I do know is last fall, when I got a call on, in the middle of a road trip from my brother saying, or from my sister-in-law actually, saying, yeah, Joe, he just had a heart attack. He's, in, he's at the hospital right now. I, I, you start thinking about God. You you start thinking about God really fast and really hard. Everything that you've always believed about life suddenly comes into focus. Say, what do I really believe about this God that I talk lip service every week? Because it's coming rubber meeting the road right now. All to say, um, as our creator, God knows us a little bit. You know, he made us. He knows a little bit. He knows kind of what he knows that we are often prone to forget him in times of prosperity. That's just the way things go when times are good. Yeah, we might thank God. We might praise him. But realistically, it's easy to forget him in times of prosperity. So he's telling the Israelites to remember the hardships. Don't forget your roots. Because, yeah, sometimes people think of God when things are going well. But you can bet and guarantee that there is always a reaction to God, whether it's positive or negative. But there is always some kind of response to God when things are going in the toilet. When things look like they're really hard. When you're going through times of wilderness and darkness and desperation and and death and decay and hurt and depression. There are thoughts of God, whether, again, you're cursing him or whether you're praising him or whether you're on your knees begging. There is some kind of response to God. And this gives us some life illustrations because – Sunday mornings are not the best time to gauge the nature of a person because everyone is pretty. I'm not just saying physically, but you know, we all look good. So we bring our best. We're smiley. You know, only a few cuss words slip out of our mouth. You know, more less than normal. You know, we're good on Sundays, right? We come together and we're shiny, shiny, happy people, and we sing the songs. And we know when the hands go up and when they should go down, and you know, we we know what's appropriate. We 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 know we all tend to be pretty polite. Um. For me, I don't I don't gauge who a person is by how I meet them on Sunday because everyone's nice. It's when I see life pressing down on someone like a donut, like those jelly donuts and what you see coming out. When life is pressing down on us, that is the true indicator of who we really are. When life is crumbling around you, when things are going bad financially or family or work, when when health, when things are just going poorly, that is often the best indicator of what life really is. That's when our psychology starts to catch up with our theology, and we can talk a good game about what we believe God to be, but often our psychology, who we believe and be truly in our mind, is not quite there, and those moments of wilderness help to expose those things. Maybe it's that, you know, when things are going well, we kind of have this illusion that we're in control. You know, when life is good, okay, I can manage this, you know, it's not easy, but I, I got this but it's those hard moments, right, that feel like you're losing control. It's almost like you're trying to grab water. Have you ever tried to grab water? I never thought that people would try to do that until I went on vacation with my little girls this summer at the beach. And I see them trying to grab water. And I'm like, all right, I'll give them about two minutes here, but that's not going to work. <laughs> like, that, that frustrating feeling that life is slipping out of your hands and and what this does, that helplessness, it, it it's very... Good way to reveal the depth of our soul. Again, maybe reveal, you know what, what do you really believe about God? Who is God to you? Because through those hardships that are revealed, God is, uh, he's revealing a deeper sense of what it means to really depend on him. When we say that we depend on God and that we need him, we look here in verses two to four, and it's described the desolation of this time in the wilderness. part of how God used this, as you can see, he's forcibly removed Israel's natural props and the things that they might normally depend on, the things that might normally support them. They had no food. I mean, I read that and that grips my heart because I like food. They had no food. They were forced to have to depend on this God who was like raining down this crazy stuff called manna. Every day he would give a new supply. They had to depend on him. I mean, they had no clothes. And for some of you like to shop, you're like horrified at the stock, but they, their clothes never wore out, so they didn't need new clothes. It, they, God provided exactly what they need. Their feet did not swell. He gave them exactly what they needed all these years to get through. Basically, any hope that they could place in themselves was taken away. And just on a side note, what this reminds me, and you might think I'm totally twisted as I say this, so you got to understand where I'm coming from. The more and more I live life, and maybe the more and more I do ministry and just in- interact with real people, I start to see that this whole American dream ideal, that to kind of get the nice, comfortable life, and, you know, the 2.5 cars, and the two kids, or a river, whatever, you know, that, you know, have that nice, like, picket fence, and have the nice home, and nice job, all that. I mean, it's great. I'm not saying that's bad. But I'm starting to see, I pity sometimes people who have things really good. Sometimes I pity folks who everything seems to be going well for them. Like they are getting their jobs, their families are going fine, health. I pity them, and I can only say that because sometimes comfort leads us to a place to say, oh, I'm good, I don't need anyone else. So actually, I I pity people whose lives are going really well. And again, just on that statement, that sounds insane unless we're looking at it from a God perspective. But often in life, the more I'm seeing here, it's a severe mercy from him where he lets us be in a place where things are not going so well. As difficult as it might feel in the moment, that is a severe mercy that he gives to us to be in a place where things perhaps are crumbling around you. And, and you start to get desperate. And, and your family's breaking up around you. And your health is deteriorating. And your bank account's dwindling. And there's no job. And and your, your mind is playing tricks on you. And all these different things. And your addictions seem too hard to fight. And you're in that place where slowly, slowly, it's like hope is oozing out of you. Perhaps that's a severe mercy where God brings us to a place to say, God, there's nothing else that's going to satisfy me other than you. Sometimes we don't see we need that until we're there, and, and that's what gets us to a point where these songs like "Lord, I need You." Oh, that's it starts to change from like a nice tune we sing on Sundays together because you know, let's be honest, it's like a bang and beat, right? It's decent. It starts to get to a place of real desperation. Lord, I need You. I can't keep going on the way I am here. I need something bigger than myself. And the wilderness will help to expose that. I, I want to make clear here, lest you kind of think I have this like kind of messed up idea of the world. It does, this doesn't mean that all the hard things that happen in our life are necessary from God. We have to have a careful idea that God is not like up there with like spiritual lightning bolts looking to throw it at you. Oh, yeah. he been bad. Boom! You know, there you go again, like a, like you're a dartboard and you're like trying to avoid God. I mean, we got to be careful, right? <laughs> um i, I want to make there there are some hardships that exist as a result just of being born into a broken world and we see that in our neighborhood all the time right all of you from Hamden, you know what i'm talking about sometimes just being born in a certain there are some things about being born in this world you are just going to experience certain hardships um and let's be real can we be real? some of the difficulties you and i might experience are just because we make bad decisions I mean, we often say, God, why did you let this happen? And if I'm feeling ultra brave that day, I might just say, well, you know, yeah, God let it happen. But you had a good part in this, too. You see that decision you made back like six months ago, you thought it was going to be okay? Well, no, this is the fruit of that now. <laughs> we, we have a part to play in it as well. So, so I want to make clear, God, he might not be the cause of bad things that happen, but he doesn't mean that he won't allow these desert times of brokenness to be used in our life. Because these seasons, and if, if you're going through it right now, I'm, I'm right there with you, they might honestly break you, they might honestly uh, break every hope that you've placed in your life, but when you're broken, the strength that you're going to discover is not this kind of um, self-sufficiency and just kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and come on, man, just man up a little bit more. I mean, it's not going to be that strength. It's going to be that strength that's tested in, in real life by the knowledge of the living God and his word. That, that's where he'll bring us to. And I want to say this, and without the rest of this sermon context, this can sound really cruel, so you need to listen. But if you have a relationship with God, the desert, it reminds you that he will never let you feel so strong that you feel like you don't need him anymore. That if you have a relationship with God and you know that he loves you, he will never let you get so strong or so capable that you somehow feel like you don't need him anymore. Because God uses the dry desert times to cultivate a deeper sense of his presence in our lives. Uh, The desert forms a deeper sense of knowledge of him that allows us to praise him, even when life is not giving us reason to praise. What God is saying here to the Israelites is, guys, learn to be grateful while you're still in the desert. Learn to thank me for that manna that I know you're sick of at this point, but learn to thank me for that manna as if it's the juiciest filet. And I don't know if they ate filets back then or not, but that's how I imagine, like, comparison to manna. Learn to praise me for the good land, even when you're still a nomad. And that one day when you do prosper, and you will, don't forget me. Because if you learn the secret of praising God when it hurts, that's when... You're able to praise him when life is good as well. And, and in a lot of ways, our response to our hearts in the times of the desert, it's a good way to measure our growth as a disciple. Um, because praising God is a choice. Praising God is a choice. Because anyone can give praise to God when things are going well, but only disciples worship when it still hurts. I mean, thats it's insane, right? It doesn't make any sense, but only a disciple of Jesus will worship when it still hurts. And that kind of deeper worship, that can only be cultivated in the desert because the desert reveals, again, what's at our core. Many of us, we've built up systems in our life to hide the pain. We've built up things to kind of protect us from shame or guilt. Um, But the desert, it reveals where are you looking for, for your hope, your significance. The desert, it's a place of healing, but for that to take place, It has to be a place where it reveals that we're sick, reveals how we're sick. And by sick, I mean that pain that comes with looking to your hope in anything other than God himself. We have this verse from Jeremiah 2.13 where the prophet, uh, prophet writes here, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And basically this picture here, this is a picture of what sin is because a lot of times you and I, we think of sin and we think of bad stuff that we shouldn't do and that that's sin. But this is often, this is the ultimate core of sin is that we've ultimately substituted ourselves for God and we've worshiped the creation rather than the creator. So in the desert, what's happening is what's being revealed is these broken cisterns. Basically, that's the nature of life. We've set up all of these different containers for life, whether success or money or sex or relationships or or wealth or comfort or the American dream, whatever it might be. We've set up all these things and we're filling it. We're hoping that's where my satisfaction is. And God is saying, as you've done that, you don't realize that your cistern's broken. You don't realize you keep pouring into this thing, but it's broken. It's cracked. You're leaking. That's why you can have everything in the world and you're never satisfied because that cistern's broken. Only broken. Only in me do you have a complete contained cistern that can be filled and provide life. And in the desert, when all the props have been taken away, we come face to face with some of those broken cisterns that we've been pouring our whole life into. We come face-to-face with the fact that my ultimate joy is me found in some dude telling me I look beautiful. It's all about the selfie culture, right? You know, tell me I'm beautiful. Or it's about how well you're growing on the corporate ladder. or Or how big your house might be. Or how well your family's developing. And all those things are fine again. Selfies, I'm not quite sure. But, I mean, all those things are fine. But they're broken cisterns. They ultimately cannot satisfy you. And God's trying to reveal those ways. We're trying to be satisfied apart from him. Because this wasn't meant to be a 40-year hiking trip, but there was a destination in mind. I mean, they might not have known it, but their hardships were a path to much greater things. This promised land. And on that day when they saw this new land, Israel, they would see with their very own eyes the stark difference between the desolate wilderness and the beauty of the promised land. And and maybe I can encourage some of you where this life is very difficult. And some of us, let's be real, you might look at life and say, oh, it's not that bad. It's pretty good. Some of us, we would say, life stinks. (laughs) Life is hard. Everything is falling around apart apart from me. I can't manage it. Can I say that perhaps this is a word to give us some hope that there's a reason why you don't feel fully satisfied here? Because as Christians, as people who follow God, this is not meant to be our eternal home. There is supposed to be a little bit of a dissatisfaction in the world. There, that's the reason why maybe you've been taught your whole life go to college and get the job and get the family, and you've done all that, and you're still, why am I still aching with a longing inside of my heart? Because you were created for more significant, deeper things. I love the one C.S. Lewis quote where he writes If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And often what God does through these times of difficulty, he reveals the stuff that we're looking to to satisfy us when only God can. Because we need to remember that we're created for more. We're meant to discover this relational dwelling with God that exists for eternity. That God cultivates our affections for him in deeper ways as we long for his presence. Because in the desert, guys, and this is where, again, stuff starts to connect. Um, All these very cliche ideas we have about God start to make some sense. Like things like we say, you know, when, when a door closes, God opens a window. Or, you know, let go and let God. And, you know, we just throw around these small little cliche ideas of God. Or we say things very, you know, just God loves you. You know, he will never leave you. His grace is enough. You know, all the popular song titles, right? We just say these things. But in the desert, when you meet God at your lowest point, when you feel there is nothing worthy about you or or what you've accomplished, maybe you feel like a total failure, you feel like a total fraud, when everything you've looked to for satisfaction in your life feels like it's ripped away from you, at those times, who God is to you, even in these simple ideas, becomes a whole other story. He will never leave me? Really? Even with what I'm going through? God loves me, even when I don't feel a certain, any kind of sense of his affections at all. His grace is enough. You mean I can't earn this? He will provide? They start to take on real meaning. Because in the wilderness, it's it's understandable to view it as God punishing the people. And and there's a certain part where he's disciplining them, um, but it's easy for us, and you need to be clear, it's easy to listen to the lies of the enemy and portray God as some abusive parent. Like he putting he puts us through wilderness to cut, because he's abusive. But the more I see it, is God's discipline is an amazing expression of His heart for us. Because if He really wanted to abuse us, He would just leave us alone. If He really wanted to abuse us, He would just He wouldn't even care. He'd just say, "Do whatever you want." But He's a good Father. Because God is trying to teach us that life is about so much more than just eating and drinking and all the creature comforts. But in in the desert, God's showing us that joy does not depend on just what the world has to provide. Verse 5 even shows that he wants a relationship with us so badly to the point that he would even allow us to feel pain. I mean, that's crazy. (laughs) And and the only way that, that can make sense is that the pain of the desert has to point us to a whole significant other level of pain of the one who experienced the deeper wilderness, Jesus Christ himself who you and I, we might experience wilderness and desert and and difficult times and dry times, and that's just a part of life, but there's this Jesus Christ who came fully God and fully man, came to this earth, and though he deserved the riches of being the king, he in essence, lived a life of wilderness, lived a life of dryness, lived a life apart from all of the comforts that he could have had to the point where he ultimately went on a cross and entered the extreme soul poverty of the wilderness of the desert and have life stripped away from him for the purpose of showing love to people who needed to be restored to God. I just want to put a word out there that if you're here and if you're not a Christian or if you're not sure what that means or you're still trying to prove yourself to God or you're that person that still says, yeah, I'm still trying to, you know, I I hope I do enough. I want to invite you to life to say you can never do enough because Christ, that's what he did on the cross. He took all of your work. He did everything that you're supposed to and that you could never do. He takes your shame upon himself. He takes all of your failures upon himself. He takes all of your pain upon himself. And that's why the cross was so significant. And I want to invite you, if you're not a Christian, or maybe you've been coming to church forever, that doesn't mean you're a Christian. Maybe today you can say, I need Jesus. I, I never realized how broken I am, and today I decide to follow Jesus. If that's you, just jot it down on your connection card. Let us know or talk to someone you came with. And if you are a Christian, let me encourage you, don't try to automatically medicate your pain. And by medicate, I don't necessarily just mean narcotics or alcohol. Don't automatically medicate yourself by recreation or golfing or Netflix or movies or whatever it might be. Because often we just try to medicate ourselves to numb the pain. Because some of you are in the wilderness right now and you're again you're a christian precisely because you've chosen to follow christ it's not in spite of god's love in your life some of you are going through the wilderness precisely because you've chosen to follow jesus and that he's doing this good refining work within your life so i want to pray for us and and i also want to give us a time to respond and pray as well um but I'm going to give some time f- uh, for any of you who want to share maybe how God's doing to some of it in your, in your life right now in a bit. But let me pray for us first. And can I ask you to close your eyes? And just as you're there, again, take what I said just there. Are you, is God speaking in your life right now and revealing to you, you know what? Maybe for the first time you're recognizing, I have been trying to be a good person or I've been trying to be strong, or I've been trying to be capable, or I've been trying to be religious, or I've been trying to be obedient, and maybe the best thing you can do to say is, I need to stop and just say, I need Jesus. I need to receive his love. I, need, I, I, I think I understand today that he died for me. He went into the wilderness for my sake. And if that's you, follow Christ today. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't be good enough for that. All you can do is receive it freely through right now. And I can only say this with a straight face because I understand God's love. What is God trying to do in your life through that time of pain and darkness and wilderness and desert? And sit there in his love for a moment. So let's let's do that for a bit and then we're going to have some time to respond together. Holy Father, um, I'm guessing some of us in this room, Lord, this is just a foreign message because life is great, and we're not going through anything and Lord, we thank you for that as well we don't We don't diminish that that favor comes from you, blessings come from you. But Lord, we do pray for some of us who are going through wilderness times right now, maybe even even as much as we look shiny and happy and joyful on the outside that inside there's there's war raging. And there's darkness and depression and, and hurt. And we're wounded. And we feel dry because we're walking through a desert right now. Lord, would you meet us there? Would you remind us that that doesn't mean you don't love us. Rather, perhaps it's because you do love us, that you're, you're exposing things in our heart, and you're drawing us close to yourself, that it, your goal is to stir our affections for you, draw us into a deeper need for you, worshiping you, walking with you, dwelling with you, not just doctrinally, but Lord, in our mind, in our deep places, we would truly just not believe this in our mind, but it would be our life. So if we're there, Lord, we pray for that severe mercy to be made real here. Thank you, Lord, for even allowing us to go through some pain for the sake of our relationship with you, that we might see the depth of what it means to know you even through the hardest times and that Joy that comes even when there's no human circumstances to have joy. So we thank you, Lord, for being good to us, and walking with us through the desert as Jesus himself did. Amen. We're going to um, sing and, and respond in communion in a, a minute, but we, we like to do this every so often. Just give a chance for some of you, if you want to respond, if you want to just share really briefly, what's one way God's speaking to you even today? If there, we just want to, if there's no one, that's totally fine. But if any of you have some way you feel God is speaking to you, the mic is open here. We'd love to invite you to come up and briefly share that with the church.